This is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast, where we explore God at work in Canadian cities. My name is Kevin Rogers, and today we want to look at African Christians that find a new home in Canada. Prior to 1960, uh, Black Africans comprised a very small, scattered, and almost unknown group of newcomers to Canada. Although Africans of European and Asian ancestry had a clearer presence. According to the 2016 census, uh, just over 1 million Canadians reported being of African origin. And uh, in the last uh, uh, seven years, uh, that number has, of course, increased. Our conversation today is going to focus primarily on Christians that were born in Africa and are now living in Canada. And what strikes me demographically is that the African continent has a higher percentage of the population identifying as Christian than we do in Canada. So let's uh, meet my guests today. And uh, the first one I want to introduce is uh, Reverend Isaac uh, DeGraff uh, Taki. Is that how I say your name? Yeah, that's good. In Canadian way. That's the Canadian way? Okay. Yeah, the Canadian way is accepted. All right. <laughs> but it's Isaac, it's Isaac DeGraff Tichy. Tichy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Isaac, you're the pastor of Living Word Assembly of God in Toronto. Uh, one of your recent accomplishments was uh, authoring this book right here, uh, and uh, this book is called The Story of Ghana, Ghana Assemblies of God Church in Canada, and uh, it's a historical document giving a first-hand account of uh, Ghanaian Christians starting Ghanaian churches in Canada, some of the successes and some of the controversies <laughs> Uh, that they've experienced so far. And uh, just like the Bible, it tells you the good things and it tells you the bad things. And uh, so uh, you have a good book there that will uh, be a good part of history. So welcome, Pastor Isaac. Anything yeah. else you want to tell us about yourself? Thank you. That's my, my pleasure to be on your podcast. Thank you for the invitation. I sincerely appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next guest we have uh, is uh, Sam or Sammy Malloy, and uh, Sammy works at Matthew House here in Windsor. It's a refugee resettlement service, mm. and it's also a residence uh, with about 70 beds, and uh, they're serving um, uh, hundreds of refugee claimants uh, across our city. In fact, there's been a, a, a real uptick in uh new immigrants. Some of those uh, refugee claimants are African. Uh, Sam is also a worker with Africa Inland Mission, uh, where he organizes summer camps across Canada for children and youth of African origin. So uh, welcome, Sammy. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Anything else you want to tell us about yourself? Uh, I'm just I'm happy to be here. I've been blessed over the last uh, two years now to have spent a lot of time working um, in uh, different uh, immigrant refugee circles with Africans, with Middle Eastern, all, all kinds of people. And it's just great to see what God's doing in Canada. And our uh, third guest is uh, Kirabel uh, Masresha, or we call him Nahum. 
And uh, he's a, a student. Uh, he's born in Ethiopia, but uh, lived in Windsor from a young age. And I'll ask mm -hmm. you about that. Um, he lives with uh, pastors Wadaji Takest and Nardi Abraha. They're on staff uh, with me at New Song Church. And uh, they were former pastors of Emmanuel Ethiopian Church. And uh, Naam uh, works at uh, Serenity Coffee House. And uh, so, Naam, uh, so um, I, I think you're heading off to college, aren't you? Or has that started um, yet? Yeah, um, I'm going to be starting that in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to start a new program. The previous mm -hmm. one wasn't really for me, so. Okay, what are you, what are you going to study? I'm trying to get into um, electrical techniques, just trying to get into trades right now. Oh, very good. And how old, how old were you, Naomi, when, when you uh, moved from Ethiopia to, uh, to Canada? I was about 10 years old. About I was going to turn old. 10 yep, in a week. Yeah. You're yeah. What, you must be about 20 now? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, a little over 10 years now since I've been Yeah. Here. Very yeah. good. Very good. Um, yeah. So, um, anyways, um, I want to just uh, kind of dig into our topic here today, and and uh, I'm I'm on a learning expedition with with this uh, with this episode. So uh, maybe uh, Pastor Isaac, if I could start off just uh, asking you to tell a little bit of um, uh, you know growing up in in Ghana and uh, what was uh, the shape of the church in Ghana. And uh, talk, talk, us, talk to us about uh, your, your journey to Canada. <laughs> thank, you so, thank you so much. Uh, as, I, I, uh, as I said at the beginning, I'm really, really honored to be here. And as it's been said, you know, my name is uh, Isaac. You know, my mom uh, is Alberta. My dad is, uh, is uh, it's also Isaac. You know, my dad named me after him, himself. So growing up in Ghana, Ghana is in West Africa. Sometimes some people confuse it with Guyana, you know, but Ghana is in West Africa. It's marked to be one of the, in, in Africa, one of the first countries, actually one, the first country to gain its independence from the British. So we were colonized by Britain. So our uh, the the common language there is English because we grew up you know studying English. We have so many dialects, over three hundred plus dialects in in Ghana. I come from the central region of Ghana. I was born. I lived with my my grandmother, who is still alive, by the way. My grandmother is still alive, alive about hundred and something years. You know, she's bedridden, but she's alive. She I. Grew up living with my grandmom, and then I came to live in the capital, which is Accra, the capital of Ghana, when I was, I think, about six years old. That's when my grandmother brought me to my parents in Accra, who have migrated to go and then build their lives. So in Accra, in the city, that was when I got born again. I got born again at the age of 13, uh, and this is what happened. I, I People didn't that sent me a tract or something. But the community that we were living in, in Accra was a very poor, very bad community, you know, with a lot of negative influence. So at that tender age, I was able to pick up because of the neighborhood, 
I could speak almost about six, seven different languages at the same time, like seven different northern languages. And then the friends around me were, you know, we're not doing, even though we're young, but we're doing pretty much like other stuff that wasn't good. So I'm sure my parents, my parents saw that if they do not really relocate, it's going to affect me. So they moved. And as God will have it, when they moved to this new location on one particular evening, the Assemblies of God Church branch in that area called Accra New Town in Accra, they were holding a crusade at a, at a uh, how do I say, like at a lorry station, a car park, you know, a station. So my, myself and my friends have gone there to do our own things over there. And I'll talk about that if I'm talking about like how I got saved. I'm talking about how I got born again. So at this crusade, we all of us are kids. We went to stand there just watching, doing our own things. And then when this man was preaching, after sharing the gospel, he asked people to come forward. And then out of my friends, you know, I, I used to say something, but today I know it's the Holy Spirit. You no, know, the Holy Spirit just moved me. I went forward, accepted Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. And then the following day, you know, went to, went to, went to church. And, and as they will say, the rest is history. And today as I'm speaking, some of one of my friends that I went out with in that same community is also a pastor in the Assemblies of God in Ghana as well. So that was, that was my journey of uh, getting born again. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, Naam, uh, so a 10-year-old boy growing up in Ethiopia and... Uh, then uh, you move uh, with uh, your family or part of your family. I'd tell us the story about, uh, you know, the, de the decision to come to Ethiopia and, and what you remember uh, from kind of that early transition. Were you, uh, were you English speaking? And uh, I'll ask you to unmute your microphone there as well. Sorry, I thought it was on. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, my mom, uh, left to, um, you know, like Dubai and stuff like that for, you know, a better job after, like right after I was born pretty much. And I kind of grew up with my dad and then, uh, yeah, like 10 years in. Right. And it's pretty different over there. It's, um, it's kind of like, you know, like the environment raises you and, School's different, the church different. I uh, specifically grew up in a Orthodox household mm -hmm. and it's pretty much the majority of the country anyways. And like newborn Christians are like, I would say probably like 10% of it. Mm -hmm. We're not a lot, right? So right. it's more religious in the um, Orthodox church. So, but I still had, you know, some newborn friends and I watch their programs and stuff at home, right? And what I've noticed is that even like my Orthodox friends, um, even though they did claim, you know, we're believers and we did this and that, but it was strictly religious. It was just like, you know, oh, we must fast or else, like, or we must do this or else, right? But the other ones really embraced their, you know, connection with God. You could really see it. Like they're happy to be there. And it's just their everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and I never understood it from an Orthodox perspective. I thought the way we worshipped was weird. 
I thought everything we did was weird, right? And uh, my mom was already born again after coming here. And so after moving here with her, she took me, it was like, I would say the second day, like I'm still a kid. So I'm like open to anything my parents lead me to, right? So took me to Emmanuel Church where Pastor Nardi and Wadaji were at. And I remember the first time it was Pastor Wadaji, you know, put the oil over my, and, and prayed for me and all that. And there was too many people in the front and I'm like, what's going on, right? And I'm like, why am I in this like born again church and all that? Like, uh, it's creepy, right? Yeah. And then, <laughs> I, but I, I, I saw that, you know, everybody's friendly, more accepting. And it's, it just didn't seem like a hard, like it made the connection with the Lord, like much easier, right? Like I was not, like as a kid, you know, fasting was a problem for me. I'm like, I'm not about to do that, right? And all the hard work. So it did, it did loosen it up a whole lot. And it's quite different over here. So it's interesting, one of the, I would say, um, beautiful things about uh, the Ethiopian uh, church in Canada is that Ethiopians and Eritreans would uh, worship together in the same church. And even uh, Wadaji and Nardi being married to each other back in Ethiopia, at least in the past, uh, those were uh, countries that were against each other. There's a lot of conflict and uh, great. Um, and then, um, uh, so when, when uh, it was, was the Emmanuel Church your first time in a uh, Pentecostal, uh, more evangelical style church? Yeah, it was my first time. Um, and that's where I was pretty mm -hmm. much before I came to New Song. Yeah. And so, Did yeah, those are the only churches I've been at. And, and uh, when you uh, came to Canada, did, were you already speaking English? Pretty much, you know, like I took the classes over there too, right? We had the class. And so it's like, you do speak it, not so great. Like I knew 70%, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like I could communicate and it was my mom's decision after I came here. Um, she saw that I could communicate. So she's like, hey, might as well like skip the speaking French. Mm -hmm. and so she just put me in a French school right away right and it was pretty hard at first um because like back home Ethiopians really don't speak French and all that it's not part of our language right so it's mm -hmm. it was it was pretty I was pretty upset my first the first couple of months <laughs> I was in that school you know like I've never been like picked on or bullied or whatever but it kind of started after they saw I, I didn't speak it and we're kids right like a bunch yeah. of 10 year olds and stuff so it, it was pretty upsetting, but it was, it was only like a matter of a couple of months and I did get used to it and mm -hmm. just pretty much continued in that. And so English is just like, you know, I learned it through the environment, friends and all that. And just, yeah, now yeah. I'm able to speak three languages. So, yeah. Right on. Great. Right on. Yeah. Well, on behalf of parents all over the globe, I apologize for uh, making you do something you didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, Sam, um, you're you're meeting African youth and and children all the time at, at the camps you run in the summer. T tell us a bit about the camps and 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 also some of the kids um, are are Christians. Some are Muslim. Um, some maybe are coming from a uh, religious background of any stripe, but not necessarily 
uh, walking with with the Lord. Um, and then uh, at Matthew House, you also are uh, continually meeting young and old Africans that are transitioning through through the house as refugee claimants. Um, I would I'd be curious from your perspective, um, what you've seen about uh, African-born Christians and how maybe that compares with um, the Canadian uh, experience that of, of the Lord that you grew up with. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think when it comes to, to the youth, uh, Kiribati's story is pretty, pretty standard for a lot of, um, a lot of teenagers that come over here. Um, you know, when you're a teenager, it's a very confusing time, regardless of, of where you are. Um, and you add on the fact that you have to learn new language, new culture, all of this. Um, I think a lot of teens really start to wrestle with is my parents' faith from back in Africa applicable here in Canada. Um, I know a lot of young Ethiopian men who wonder, who maybe they were raised Orthodox, um, wondering, okay, does that does that really apply here? Um, and that goes for for every faith background. Um, so I see a lot of teens really wrestling with that um, at the camps that we have. Um, and also, like, like Kiribal said, uh, he learned the language really quick. The young people will adjust um, and pick up on cultural things, language, um, stuff like that, a lot quicker than the adults. Um, one, one African proverb says, um, it's a lot easier to fill an empty glass than a full one, right? Um, so a lot of the, the older people, when they come over here, it's a lot harder for them to, to adjust to language, food, um, just the way of doing life here. Um, and I've definitely seen that uh, with my work here at Matthew House. Uh, you know, um, in the, the last uh, episode, um, <clears throat> I talked with uh, a guy named Charles Hermelink, mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking about the life stages associated uh, with, with being an immigrant. Uh, the first generation uh, that comes, uh, they, that would be Generation 1.0, and that might be the, uh, the adult that first comes to Canada from another place. And if they have a, a mother tongue other than English uh, or French, they, they may form churches and associations made up of their home culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they have young children, the children will be 1.5, meaning that they're foreign born, but being raised in Canadian culture. So, uh, so Isaac would be a 1.0, uh, Nam would be a 1.5. Isaac, if you're, where were your children born, uh, Ghana or Canada? And you're muted, yeah. Yeah, in, in Ghana, because when I was coming, uh, when I was coming here, they were all, you know, uh, all born, so all of them. So none of them is here. So I'm here with my wife. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, so, so then the 2.0, that would be, um, the generation that are born in Canada uh, with immigrant parents, and uh, they, they kind of live uh, in the tension between two worlds, the, the world of their parents and their parents' uh, church or culture, and, uh, and their own that they're, they're discovering. And then um, 3.0 might be the, the grandchildren and on, where uh, they are fully encultured as Canadians. They maybe haven't even visited uh, the home country. Um, so um, 
when it comes to to church, uh, particularly cultural language churches, mm -hmm. um, I would say there's a a, a sh short shelf life tied to the first generation, unless uh, the church adapts in some major ways. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> the, um, uh, the the newcomers uh, are looking for fellowship and and familiarity with with their home language, their home culture. And so they find find friends uh, that have the same background. And uh, churches get started in that language group. Uh, then the kids that are being raised in the Canadian culture, um, they're, uh, they're a little bit split between uh, the world of their parents and uh, the world that they're learning and growing up in. And uh, then as it progresses on, eventually you have people that were not born in, in that cultural language group uh country they were born in canada they are much more canadian than they are anything else and 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 so as a church um uh addresses those concerns the sort of the healthy path is to move from being a uh, monocultural church uh we are only ethiopians or we are only ghanians or nigerians or whatever it may be to uh, eventually becoming an international church uh, in English uh, for uh, all nations. And uh, the, and then uh, the, the need for the cultural language uh, it diminishes over time as, as the generations form. So um, the, um, the question I, I would ask next, I would ask uh, just open to anyone and everyone to respond to if you want. Uh, how hard is it um, when uh, moving from uh, another place, another culture, and, and another language to, um, to make uh, new friends and to feel uh, like you belong in a new culture? Uh, now I know for uh, both Isaac and uh, Naom, uh, you you were already English speaking, so uh, that would be much easier than if you came uh, without language skills. That would be a lot harder. But uh, what's what's been your experiences of um, feeling like uh, like you are a part of Canadian culture and uh, that. Uh, that you're able to relate well to more than one culture. How long did that, but talk about that aspect of, of your lives and, and what you experienced. Who wants to go first? <laughs> um, Naomi, oh, you're muted. there we go, yeah. Okay, uh, I'll go. Um, I'd say it's very different um, for both of us, you know, like, from a child's perspective and an adult's perspective, it's completely different. It makes the process much easier for a child than an adult. And for me, it's it's very simple. It's like, it, you know, like kids can make friends like very easily, right? Like it's just go uh, relate with something, that's it, you're friends, right? You don't even know about each other very well. Um, so that's pretty much what happened for me was like, I was able to adapt and like, it took a couple months, I'd say, mm -hmm. you know, being around school, being around, you know, like other public places and 
yeah, exploring very well. And then, you know, the, the language comes in easier, you know, the content you watch and all that. For an adult, I, I, I would say if I came now, it would be quite more difficult. I think I would reach out more to like my own kind, like Ethiopians, uh, then, you know, like just finding friends from all over the world kind of thing, you know, like school gives you that big chance right there. Mm -hmm. So I, mm -hmm. I would say it's much easier for me. And uh, Isaac, you've uh, been in Canada for quite a while, quite a long time. And when, when did you come and uh, talk about uh, just that, uh, that uh, change? I got in here, um, 2008, 2008, when I got, when I got uh, born again, and that was at the age of 13. So I went through my schooling and then as a tender, at a tender age, I knew God had called me. There's a calling of God upon my life, but I wanted to maybe go to school, finish. Okay. So was at the secondary school, finished it, that one. I went to the university, the first university in Ghana, University of Ghana, Ligon. And then responded to the call of God and went to the Bible school. So I, I went to the Bible school of the Assemblies of God, Assemblies of God, Ghana. So did my, my diploma there and did my bachelor's there. And then started pastoring, started church planting uh, in one of our branches, Revival Restoration Center, Assemblies of God with my senior pastor. So I was the associate pastor for about 10 years in Ghana in charge of the youth young adults, campus ministries, and then uh, missions. So we're planting churches all over, all over the, pretty much all over the country. And then there, there, there was a need in Canada. At that time they had started, I mean, the Canada church has been around for a while. So they, they, they needed somebody to be brought. So the general superintendent at that time, who is going to be with the Lord, you know, Reverend Donto, Reverend W. W. Donto, with his executives, you know, uh, prayerfully thought that, you know, they want to send me here. So I, I landed, I left Ghana 2008, August, precisely August 18th, and then landed here August 19th. And it wasn't snowing when I came, so that was okay, sort of good welcoming for me. You know, but I came, because, I, I came straight into the Ghanaian community. Mm -hmm. I was staying around Genefe, near York University. I remember the house, 500 Mori Ross was the first apartment building I lived in. You know, I, I think it's level, uh, I think 10, 10, 15 or something, the apartment. Okay, so I tried to recollect. So that's where it all started. The church had started already. The Ghanaian uh, Assemblies of God Church had started. They've gone through so many things, up and downs. And at this particular stage, they needed somebody who said relatively younger to come. So when I was leaving Ghana, I was about 44 years old when I came in to take over, you know, the church. And it's been 15 years, since 15 years now. It is it was very, very difficult because I didn't have any orientation before coming. Like as to, you know, preparing me to come into a contest like this. And then, but the good thing is that. You know, the Assemblies of God is affiliated with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, the Western Ontario District. So we just transfer and come there. So when I came, the reception I received you know, from the leadership at that time was very, very helpful. So the district had a lot of uh, workshops and seminars that we were doing. And then uh, 
district councils. So what I what I did, like I was doing back home, was to make sure that I got plugged in into everything that we were doing. Like if they were talking about, we are bringing our administrator to come and talk to us about how to handle churches in Canada, I was there. When we were bringing a lawyer to come and talk to us about it, I was there. Because I knew, right, well, I mean, I did some readings before I came, but I knew that doing church in Ghana is totally different from doing church in Canada. You see, Canada, because the churches are, you know, regulated and so on and so forth. But it, it, that was how it was. It wasn't very easy. And then, so for me, the reason I even wrote the book, which you have, you know, which I have a copy here, was I determined that the first three years, I was just going to relax and learn and study and understand, you know, the context that I've been, I've been brought, brought into, just understand the people, understand the country, the culture, and so on and so forth. Particularly, you know, the local church that I've been brought to pastor, because I, I understood right from the onset that these are not necessarily Ghanaians. Like their parents, as we talked about, their parents may be Ghanaians, but the children who, have, who maybe were younger and were brought here, or those who have been born here, are not, they look, they look Ghanaian outside, but their thinking is not Ghanaian. So I realized right from the onset that I, I, it's, it's a learning care for me. And I'm still learning because I haven't even stopped finished learning. I'm still learning. But that was what I did the first three years. Let me say the first three to five years of my time. And that was the result, you know, of the of the book. Because I, I, want, I wanted to make sure uh, that if I'm doing anything, it has to be something that will last. Okay. All right. So mm -hmm. that, is, that, is how, that is how it happened. <laughs> you know, every uh, nation with a copy of the Bible in their language has the same scripture as the rest of the world. And yet so much of our theology, how we understand God and even how we approach the scriptures uh, does get shaped by our language and by our culture, by our upbringing. Mm. Um, you know, when we think about uh, the Canadian church uh, making it easier for uh, refugee claimants and, and immigrants. Um, I think, uh, Sam, what, what, what are you, um, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what you're seeing at, at Matthew House and uh, just kind of that, uh, that vulnerable starting point that uh, many of the folks coming in have and, uh, and uh, how do they, um, what's the transition journey all about? Uh, from yeah. refugee claimant status, you know, to uh, to being on their own. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like like we've been talking about, just the, the whole idea of coming to somewhere new. Your mind is so open. Um, so a lot of a lot of the uh, refugee claimants here at Matthew House have been so excited to come to church with me, um, and they never know what to expect. And I, I but I bring them, and then uh, afterwards, I I'm always intentional about following up with them. Um, what did you think? How did it compare to maybe your church experience back home? Um, and it's always very, very, very different. Um, and I don't want to uh, speak in too broad of strokes um, because just like you could say, the Pentecostal church here in Canada is very different from the Baptist church here in Canada. Um, not all church in Africa is is monolithic by any means either. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of differences uh, in in Western churches things. Tend to be less communal focused, a lot more individualistic, 
your faith is your personal journey, your personal decision. Um, whereas in a lot of African churches, there's more of that communal aspect that's highlighted. Um, the worship is a lot more lively and upbeat in African churches um, for the most part. I remember one, one uh, Nigerian lady who came with me to New Song um, was wondering why, why wasn't anyone dancing? <laughs> because that was what she was used to in, in her worship service in Nigeria. Um, so there's tons of, of differences like that. Uh, and yeah, like, um, like Isaac was saying, um, he spent, I think he said you were, you were in the mindset of a learner for three years. Um, I think in any cross-cultural experience that I've had, um, you're just always in a position of being a learner. Um, and many, many of these Africans that are coming here are, are no different, right? They're trying to figure it out. Um, trying to compare and contrast to, to what they're used to. Yeah. What What are some, uh, this is for everybody, what are some uh, things that you see emphasized in African churches that you don't, do not see getting much emphasis in Canadian churches? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, whether that's approaches to prayer or preaching or evangelism, spiritual warfare, um, how we do leadership, uh, what family roles are like what are what are some of the um major things that uh, uh can can be a shock to the system if you come from uh, a canadian nation into a canadian church maybe i can start it off and then they can continue for me you know when i got in here uh at being part of the poc and I, I remember the first time we made an announcement we're going for there's going to be a fasting and prayer you know, so, you know, coming from Africa with my African mindset of what fasting is, <laughs> you know, I get in there and like, oh, we are fasting, we'll be praying and there's coffee and there's tea. And I'm like, oh my goodness, is that fasting? Like <laughs> my first shock, that was, that was a shock, you know, a shock to be like fasting with tea or coffee. That was it. That wasn't something that I was used to. Like when we are fasting, you are fasting. It means there's no food. There's no, there's no water. When you are praying, you know, you are praying. Like you, like Pentecostal, when you are praying and we are saying you're praying for two hours, three hours, four hours, you are praying like nonstop, you know. Mm -hmm. But you come in here, you realize that, oh, it's totally, totally different. So, so for me, that was like a, a shocker, you know, it was, like, was a shocker for me. I had to really take my time to, to get over it. And then one of the things, too, that we do most of the time, like with the Assemblies of God, we are identified by the Sunday school, you know, where the Sunday school, that is our main discipleship, the discipleship uh, model or discipleship path that we use to raise disciples. So I realize that in most of the churches here, the Western churches, not, not, not uh, like other West uh, Pentecostal churches, they don't have things like Sunday school and so on, but mm -hmm. we still have it. We still run it, you know, and then, as you, you also said, like uh, in terms of being very intentional on fasting and prayer and dealing with, you know, understanding that we are not raising against flesh and blood, which I know they have, like the churches here believe in the supernatural, believe in the negative supernatural as well, but issues of warfare and so on. Sometimes if you come from Africa, it seems that you know, they are not doing it as you, you will expect them you know, to do it. <laughs> the kind of emphasis that is laid on is not as as uh, as it is no but where we are in our Lord, that's what maybe sometimes i think 
some of the immigrants who come want feel at home in in the, the in their in the churches that speak their own language and do the things that maybe they do. Because we are still like in my church currently, we are going through uh, the whole month of March. We are fasting half day, and every member is praying one hour intentionally, specifically over six key areas. We are believing God for revival. We are praying for the next generation. Because one of the things you, you alluded to, the fact that you know you come from what you start from as being 1.0, 2.0, 1.5, 2.0, Now, with the congregation I'm handling now, after 15 years, I've realized that if we, if we are not very careful, we will be losing all, all the next generation. So I was very intentional, hired a children's pastor who is not a Canadian, who is not a Ghanaian, who is a Canadian. And then hide a youth pastor part time, hide a younger a younger adult pastor part time, you know, and then started a second service, a contemporary service, targeting the next generation. And all this is very intentional because if we don't do that, like you rightly said, in the next twenty five years or thirty years, all of us will be gone, and they wouldn't know what will become of the church. And we don't want the situation where we will build very big edifices and then nobody will be there to really be attending the service. Yeah, so if you are asking light of the question that you asked, I think the emphasis on spirituality and discipleship in terms of like emphasizing fasting and prayer and then uh, and then intentional discipleship, maybe they may do it in a different way, which I do not know, you know, but, but the ones that we know like uh, Sunday school, like fasting, like praying, um, and then like evangelism. And I hear one of the things I'm struggling with you know, I'm still struggling with okay, is like evangelism. And you read the book of Acts. Growing up, I grew up with the idea, the concept of field evangelism because Jesus went out there. Okay, But when once you come into this country, it's very challenging for you to get yourself out there. But if you don't go out there, you also get people to come to faith in Christ. You see, So it is in the going that you get people coming. But here it seems that there's a restriction, a limit on how far you can go whose homes you can go, who you can talk to, and how you can do it. But we are still navigating around it. I'm looking at the Jesus' principle, and I'm believing God, because when you look at the way Jesus did, like anytime we travel to Africa, or people ask us questions. It seems that with the way Jesus, Jesus reached out, we can't do that in North America, because we are not seeing the manifestation of his power, signs, miracles, and so on. It doesn't mean it's not happening. You see, by the scale at which we ought to see it, we are not. We are still praying for revival. We are praying that God will grant Canada, you know, a healthy church. I was at Bonky's uh, passing, and, and Bonky, when Bonky passed away, I intentionally went, you know, because for many years, Bonky prayed and came to Africa because God wanted him there. That was when Africa was called a continent, a dark continent. Today, Africa has the largest number of Christians in the world today. Mm -hmm. And it is stipulated that by 2050, uh, Africa's uh, majority of Christians will be on the continent of Africa. So it's, it's a burden on our heart to know that God wouldn't do that for nothing. So why is God revealing himself to us there and bringing us, and bringing us here? So for me personally now, my prayer is that Canada must be saved and Canada shall be saved. Canada will be saved. You see, because you read the history of the missionaries who came to Ghana and read that from America, from Britain, and then from Canada, okay, from Canada to Africa. The more they came, the more they died. They didn't have, they didn't have solution over just common malaria. 
which we, we, is common to us today. But I mean, their graveyards are there. Okay, their graves are there. We go there and we see it. So the sacrifices uh, they have made, I'm sure it's turned around. Now it's changed and it's, we are seeing Africans coming here to do. We are praying that we will understand, we understand that God has done that to us. So he'll bring us back, you know, to those who laid down their lives for us. So we can also do the same thing. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm seeing in a, in a nutshell. Sorry, I've, I've gone but, too long. <laughs> well, the the uh, Reinhard, Reinhard Bonnke uh, was a, a German Pentecostal who felt the call of God to, to Africa yeah. and uh, saw incredible uh, fruit in his ministry in Africa. And uh, it reminds me of the words of Jesus about how sometimes a prophet is uh, not welcome in their hometown. You know, it's like sometimes the people that are most like you have the hardest time hearing another message. And, uh, and yet uh, that seems to be a pattern where um, uh, in the great commission that Jesus gave, uh, there is a uh, an evangelism, there is a sharing of faith that happens to people that are just like from me to people just like me, but that that's not enough. The, the call of God takes us to the ends of the earth, uh, to, to great distances, but also across great cultural divides. Mm. So, uh, you know, perhaps revival in Canada will come uh, from Africans or Asians or uh, Russians or, you know, somewhere, someone else coming in, uh, God may use in an incredible way. Maybe you, Isaac. Maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, you, yeah. Neil. <laughs> yeah, maybe Neil, you know, the young one. We are laying the foundations, then, then they will build it up. <laughs> yeah. We are really, really praying. We are really, really praying for revival in Canada. Canada is such a a welcoming country, uh, an awesome country. I mean, we haven't seen a country that welcomes immigrants like Canada. Maybe there are others, maybe U.S. But, you know, when I came to Canada, I didn't, I knew of Canada because when you are studying back home uh, in Ghana, you do more studies on foreign countries than you do on your own country. Like I knew, I knew more about Canada, the weather and everything way before I came in. I didn't understand them. I just memorized them and passed my exams. See, but some of the things I came here to really understand them. Okay, but in, in perspective, looking in retrospect, you realize that all those things were part of the preparation, you know, that God God had for for me. But I didn't know that I was going to be here. If somebody had prophesied, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe it. You know, but this is this is this is me here now, you know, doing what I believe God has called me to do. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what do you, what do you guys think? Uh, what does the African Church have <clears throat> that the Canadian Church needs? Um, now, you got you any thoughts? Yeah. Or Sam, either you guys got a thought on that? What does For the me, African Church have that the Canadian Church needs? It's basically what Pastor Isaac said. Um, it's it's more um, they take it more easy, I'd say, over here especially for my generation, I think. Um, they're more relaxed. And over there, it's it's really, um, you see the commitment. Like, I wouldn't say I was a committed Christian over there, but from those, like most of the people there are raised in a strict Orthodox household, like I said, 
or it could be um, Islam, which is the second biggest religion there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's big. You know what I mean? It's like you kind of see everyone practicing their spiritual lives everywhere you go. Like, you know, you got churches in many spots and you see people standing by the doors to say their prayers and then go, you know what I mean? It's, that's like on your way to work or something. Like it's something you see everywhere, so it's they do take it quite serious. And yeah, do you think, do you think that's um, you know more of a um, uh, you know a communal um, sense of whereas in North America it's much more about the individual. Do you think that? Yeah, that has I think I think that's what it is. It's more diverse here, right? So it's like there's different ways of doing things, mm-hmm. um, and over there it's just I, I would say it's part of like the tradition. It's like mm-hmm. it's part of being like not i'm not saying it's just ethiopia but like for them it's like oh as an ethiopian you know what i mean we must um hold on to you know our religion that our ancestors practiced and you know the way we celebrate holidays the way we welcome people you know what i mean all these things are pretty serious right mm-hmm. they bring they hold on to those things so i think that's what it is it's more diverse yeah Sam, Sam, you uh, seen any things uh, in African Christians that the Canadian Christians need? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Isaac touched on it briefly, but he brought up the manifestation of the spirit. I think uh, most of the African pastors, um, evangelists, missionaries I've spoken to from the continent um, are wondering, where is that here? Uh, Why why is that not happening the same way it is here? Over there, they'll have... um, big crusades or, or rallies where um, people are healed and, and demons are cast out and um, all the things that we read about in Acts uh, and Canada and America, just, just Western civilization is so, um, I guess, against the movement of the spirit or just kind of dead to, to the move of the spirit. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's affected our witness. It's affected um, just the way we do spirituality here. Um, mm-hmm. It's very carnal. It's very in the flesh. Um, and we don't often operate in the spirit realm um, with as much ease as a lot of African churches do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's something I've learned a lot over the last two years in partnering with African churches to do these camps um, and the importance of prayer and fasting um, and really going to going to spiritual war. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. just throwing together a a program um, but i'm really engaging in a spiritual war uh yeah yeah and that that's something i've learned a lot from from african pastors over the last few years anything you would add isaac yeah i think uh, looking at uh, i think this place i don't know whether they will call that civilization or they will call that advancement you know i think the western culture the more they advance, the more they tend to put God away. Yes. They put scripture away and God away. And yet they also know that man is not just mental. It's not just physical. You see, it's not just emotional, but man is also spiritual. Mm-hmm. You see, and I know that maybe the Western world, in spite of their education or in spite of their advancement, they are also still discovering. Like I know we will study, if you're a person of church history, you will know that, I mean, um, the church has is, has gotten his dark side as well. And maybe some of those is having impact on politicians and scientists and so on. So it's, it's trying to impact the decisions that they make. 
you know but what no matter what they do you know they always have to also realize that you know that spiritual component is needed now because they are not giving room to some of those things they are trying to send all those needs challenges to psychologists or, mm-hmm. or, or doctors and so on so we have issues in canada with say drug addiction now they tend to they think the solution is maybe to legalize it okay and once it, some of these things are legalized i mean i tell the church that the father something is legislated by by maybe parliament doesn't make it right in the sight of god okay we are not here to condemn people okay but my position is uh, we, i know that there, there have been some excesses in terms of in terms of manifesting the gifts and and praying and so on and so forth doing doing some of those doing some of those things but at least you know we, we should we should try it and see okay we should try it I, I don't know the extent to which we can go but i know uh, some of the things that we can do with the camps is that if if we bring children to the camp can we pray for them can we if they are going through uh, challenges if they need a baptism of the holy spirit can we pray and trust god that they will fill with it will be filled with the holy spirit can we pray that they will be delivered or that one is just medical or whatever it is. Now, I think, you know, legislators should understand that man is more than just mental, emotional, and physical. There's a spiritual dimension. And the world is more than what we see, you see. So some of these things that are attributed to, say, causes of virus and so on and so forth, some of them are caused, have spiritual roots and spiritual causes. The missionaries, when they came to Africa initially, you know, did, most of them really suffered, and I'm sure some of the reasons why most of them also died, and some of them died prematurely, even though it is malaria, mosquitoes, and so on. Some of them also, they died because of lack of knowledge about the negative supernatural. You know, because demons are real, Satan is real, the devil is real, as God is real. <laughs> see, as God is real. So you need to really understand that some of these things are, are realities that you need to deal with. See, so if, if the thing I tell... I tell the people ch- church that look, if whatever, if we need medicine to resolve it, we will let you go to the doctor. But don't stop us from also praying, rebuking the spirit of that disease or that sickness. You see, because it's not only we've made, we have instances where, like in my church, there was a guy who was diagnosed with uh, I think cancer stage four or something. So I told them, okay, just go. Came to church in, in one night praying, and I just I just felt led by the spirit. You no, know, just for me and him alone, just to partake of a communion. So I just, we just took communion, prayed, and that is it. Like, his, that is it. I don't know where it went to, where, how it disappeared. You know, so some of these things are, are realities that, it, but of course, I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I don't argue with, you know, those who do not know, okay, because they don't know. See, they don't know. But my point is, if you don't know, don't behave that you know all things. Okay, that's my that's the side of my story. So why will a child in school in school who is a Christian okay, wants to pray over his food and eat will not will be termed as uh, something else will not be allowed to do it. And yet all other things like if it is uh, uh, if whatever it is like if it is uh, uh, what what did what they do in November thirty first you know by putting on costumes. Oh, Halloween. Like, Halloween, yeah, like yeah. Halloween. You yeah. see, so if it is Halloween, you know, you allow the children to do it. But what, you know, what, what, why don't you allow, you know, Christians or Christian kids to also live 
their lives, live by, by live the faith that they believe in. See, so that's the that's the challenge I'm seeing. I don't know. I may be, yeah, I may be, I may be wrong, but these are some of the things that I've, I'm observing. Okay, in the in the new country that I call my home now, like now because now yeah. I'm a Canadian citizen, <laughs> so, so I'm, a, I'm more a Canadian, you know, than Ghanaian. Okay, so yeah, we won't see how God is going to use us. At least we can't change everything. We can't do everything. But whatever little we can do, whatever role we can play, you know, to make sure that we leave a legacy of true spirituality and true connectedness mm -hmm. to to this true God, okay, who created the heavens and the earth, who gave His life to die for us, we would we we would do our part, and that is what that's the trajectory on which we are. I think the uh, the discomforts that we experience around issues of conscience and the um, uh, sometimes those are are tied to um, what we know to be true of God, what we know yeah. to be true of, in the scriptures. Uh, other times, though, our our conscience is tied to right and wrong according to the general consensus whether that be the general consensus in our church or the general consensus in the world around us and 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 to to lead um to lead uh, others and and to to ourselves be led into um openness and and change that's that's a daunting uh challenge you know and uh I, i'm curious uh pastor isaac you know you've uh been pastoring for for several years and uh you know there there are times uh and i won't point fingers at uh your church any more than i would point fingers at mine or any other church <laughs> yeah, but sometimes there are people that are so um emotionally tied to issues of conscience that uh, it supersedes what the scriptures teach Amen. Or, or sometimes it becomes um, uh, you know very threatening to Amen. to have change how how have you um, what have you learned in pastoring uh, people that uh, in some cases are resistant to change and how how do do you create a culture of openness to God and 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 God's leading to change? Uh, I think it's uh, thank you so much. I think it's a it's a matter of you know just continual education, and then exposing them to the fact that uh, to the fact of focusing more on on the scripture and then being willing and open to learn from all from all others. Okay, and not prejudging people based on who what you think you know okay mm -hmm. what do you think you know beforehand because you know that how do we even gauge the level of what we mean by spirituality is it just based on fasting like 40 days 50 days 100 days or you know praying all your life and not doing any other thing else you see so so it's it's a it's a it's a lifelong journey Okay, but the way I try to help, you know, our people to to uh, to to go through change is for them to be willing, you know, to be willing to change and know that, you know, that we we, we the, the things because there are a lot of things that tend to divide us, but let's focus on the ones 
that are the main things. Okay, so focus on being more like Christ. See, focus on being more like Christ. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, focus on allowing your life to be ruled by scripture. See, so whatever decision that you are making, make those decisions based on the scriptures, based on the scriptures. And, and it's very, very important. Make sure that you as a believer has personal, intimate relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. If you believe the Holy Spirit the way we believe in, however, you know, you believe in you. I'm, I'm sure all of us believe whether, it, and I'm not talking about just speaking in tongues and so on and so forth, but having that kind of personal, intimate relation with him where he influences your life. He guides you, directs you, helps you to live your life. So I think, I think sometimes you're not very, very, very careful. We may allow um, the society to, to determine how we even interpret or explain the scriptures instead of allowing the scriptures to help us know how to interpret what is happening in society. I don't know whether that makes sense. It, it makes complete sense. I think that, uh, <clears throat> that, that is a very tangible spiritual warfare that goes on in all of us is, is that struggle between what God says and what, what the world says. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, um, heard, uh, a teaching a long time ago that resonates with me that, uh, you know, how do we discern uh, what's right and what's wrong? Mm -hmm. And um, the, 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 the three categories are biblical absolutes, community standards, and personal mm -hmm. convictions. Mm -hmm. So biblical absolutes, the scripture is very clear uh, in teaching on some things uh, that uh, we can all agree on no matter what part of the world or what generation we come from you know adultery is adultery yeah you know um uh, murder is murder hate is hate you know we we don't we're not confused about what what's an absolute we can all agree uh, then there are community standards and so um you know in in a community standard uh it may be that uh one group of christians in a particular church uh don't have an issue with um mm -hmm. uh smoking you know uh but in another church you can lose your membership and and uh get kicked out because because you're caught smoking you know that's a community standard and uh so in a community standard uh and and there can be many variations mm -hmm. uh part of our walk with the lord is to respect our community, to to live in ways that um, uh, honor the community. So if um, if there's a, a certain prohibition or rule that you can't fully back in scripture, but you can find scriptures that give you the general idea, um, we 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 have to uh, just come to agreement. Mm. on community standards mm. not enforcement mm. you can't enforce community standards you need mm. agreement and then there's a the matter of personal convictions so uh the person who is completely obsessed with sports mm. and uh you know every waking moment is filled with watching games and and memorizing stats and and their whole life is tied up in sports. And then maybe the Holy Spirit convicts them personally about that, you know, to say, 
you are um, making a god out of sports and uh, you need to tear down that idol. So that person out of a personal conviction says, I can no longer engage in this activity because of what it does to me. The mistake we make is when we try to make a personal conviction into a biblical absolute, or we try to make a community standard into a biblical absolute. So anybody that doesn't agree with us, well, they're, they're going to hell, (laughs) you know, that's, that's where we need to, I think, um, in the body of Christ, uh, just, uh, continue to be, um, engaged with the scripture both personally but together as community we need to work this out together that's part of the reason for this conversation today is to say hey what what would uh unity in the canadian church look like if uh you know african churches and canadian churches didn't just know about each other but actually worked together and um yeah I we're we're our time is coming to to a close here, but before we go, um, I'd I'd love to to just hear uh, you know maybe one more thought uh, from each of you, something that uh, you're thinking about, or something that you have observed, or something that you were hoping to get a chance to say and didn't get to say. <laughs> um, and uh, so, um, all right, who's who's ready to 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 give their final uh their final uh thought i get the last word because i'm the host so <laughs> okay yeah. so you can you can go and then i'll be last but i'm just thinking putting my thoughts together <laughs> <laughs> yeah well maybe i'll put sam on the spot and and <laughs> sam just talk a little bit about uh about uh africa inland mission the camps that you're running and uh mm-hmm. you know what some of the um what's going on there and yeah uh, I'll, I'll also in the show notes i'll, I'll put a link so if people want to uh um, support you. You're a self-raising uh, missionary, so uh, they can uh, do a donation if they feel so inclined. Yeah, sure. So I've been working with uh, AAM now for two years. Um, I guess I'll get a little little more background about myself. I spent five years living in Chicago, working in um, the African-American context, um, which I've come to learn is very, very different uh, from the African immigrant experience um, mm. here in Canada. Um, in a lot of ways, we could probably do a whole podcast about that too. But um, I've been working with with African youth, targeting that 1.5 to 2.0 kind of uh, metric that you were using earlier. Um, we run summer camps across Canada, um, Alberta, Winnipeg, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Halifax, across the country, um, partnering um, with local African churches to run summer camps for African youth. Yeah. Um, the camps are uh, evangelistic in nature. The gospel is proclaimed. People get saved. It's amazing. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's also affordable too. Um, we charge kids only fifty dollars to come to camp, which um, is a, an incredible deal. Um, I never went to summer camp as a kid because I could never afford it. Um, so for for new immigrant families to be able to send their kids to camp for fifty dollars is uh, is such a blessing. Um, so yeah, we run these camps. Um, and on top of that, I just spend a lot of time networking with, with African pastors, 
um, African youth pastors, especially. I was just in Ottawa at a Ugandan church, um, and it was uh, the youth pastor there. I've been really encouraged by him and his ministry, um, both to the, the youth at his church, but to the youth uh, in Ottawa as a whole. Um, again, that, that 1.5, 2.0, they're here, they're Canadian, but they're also African and they're trying to figure out their identity. Um, it really is such a, uh, such a questioning time. Um, so it's a really valuable ministry. So yeah, that's kind of what, what I'm involved in. Um, I've been learning a lot. I think the Canadian church would benefit a lot, um, from just listening, um, learning, um, hearing, um, when we were talking about missionaries earlier, you said sometimes it's hard to hear it from, from people that look like you or people that, that come from your culture. But the reality is, is God is bringing godly, godly, spirit-filled people from around the world here to Canada um, that I think have, have a really important message for us if we're humble enough to hear it. So, yeah, that's kind of what, what I would leave us with. Well said. Well said. Uh, Nahum, uh, any, uh, anything... Uh banging around in your brain you want to let out um i don't know from my perspective uh i just say like continue to pray for the youth because it's needed right like whether you're here or not like i mean yes it's different other places you know i mean it's not as bad but you got a lot of like your environment could be like pretty bad here right and so you could be, we're losing the youth and all that, and even the ones my age, right? And below, it's just getting worse. So I would say that's that's needed. Like there, we we do need like revival, you know what I mean? Like Pastor Isaac and Sam are saying, and mm -hmm. I agree with that. And mm -hmm. yes, really my thought for this. And thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. Nayam, if I can uh, just put you on the spot with a question, um, how, how can churches do a better job of uh, discipling people your age and uh, helping you to in your walk with God? Um, first thing I would say, the leaders need to have uh, need to discipline discipline their students, right? Like and. Um, show them that this is not just, um, you know, you'd hear about Christianity and then, you know, people who aren't raised in the church won't take it as serious as those who are, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it feels more as, um, okay, like these people accept me, therefore I should do whatever I want kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, so I, I, I would say like disciplining the students and the young adults you have and really telling them what's right and what's not you know what i mean mm -hmm. and like you know what i mean not just um making it simple and you know just like letting it slide and stuff like that you know what i mean mm -hmm. i i think we need more of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the, like, yeah discipline i mean it gets a bad rap in in <laughs> canadian culture by the but the word is is tied to the idea of uh, disciple mm -hmm. and uh, having guidance, having mm -hmm. somebody that can help you and, and to to make good decisions, somebody mm -hmm. who can, um, you know, uh, educate you and mentor. And, uh, you know, I think also uh, it's it's important, too, that um, 
for people that are uh, Isaac and I's age, um, we we need to be always learning from your generation. You know, you you have an incredible um, deposit of the spirit uh, that God has put into your generation, and and uh, we need to always be learning from you. Uh, you need to be our mentors as well. Yeah, humbled by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Whilst, whilst, uh, we, whilst they also, like, whilst the next generation also needs to also know that they don't have it all, you know, they need the adults, you know, to help them navigate through through their life. So it's more symbiotic, like, it's it's not either nor thing. It's just all of us working together to advance, you know, God's kingdom. So my parting words will be for speaking from, from the perspective of somebody who is migrated here. Those, those who will be watching later on, you know, if you are a Christian from the African context and you are coming in here or from any other country apart from North America, I want you to know that if you are a Christian, you always have to remember that God has a higher purpose for your life than just coming here, you know, to, to make money and so on. Because I'm sure if it is just money, Sometimes there's a lot of money on the continent of Africa than even in North America. See, so any any person God permits to come into Europe or into North America as a Christian, God has a higher purpose for you. And then a higher purpose for you, so you see yourself as a missionary, not in the, in the traditional, the old context of who a missionary is, but knowing that there's a calling upon your life where God wants to shine the, his light through you in the context that uh, you find yourself in. And then my heart desire and burden, as, uh, as, uh, as Nahum said, you know, is for the next generation. So I, 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 one of the things I've observed in the church context, looking at uh, the, the Western church, like I'm with the POC. So look at the POC churches, I, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think in the POC, so the Western context, okay, the, the Westerners context, it's easier for their children Know, to rise up and then for some of their children to end up in the Bible schools. But I haven't seen that in our context. Like in the immigrant churches, I'm not seeing a lot of the children of immigrants who have come here responding to the call and going to the Bible school and, and being raised, you know, as, as ministers or as missionaries or, and so on and so forth. I know maybe there will be one or two here and there, but it is my prayer that we will get to the point where we will raise some of them. It's my prayer that in my local church, I'll be able to raise some of the young men who will see that their calling is something that they can respond to, and then God will help them fulfill it. You see, and, and one of the things I've learned here is that it's easier. Somebody can be can go to a school like Tyndall. You can come up as a nurse or a social worker at the same time, uh, at the same time graduate with some biblical knowledge, understanding. So. You are diversified. You can go into ministry, become a missionary, and, and so on and so forth. So that, those are the two things that I'm praying, first of all, for those of us who are coming to know that the God has a higher purpose for us than just you know coming to see for greener pastures. Secondly, we, we need to really pray for the next generation that some of them will know that the, the calling is also for them. They are not just here to become nurses, doctors, uh, apprentices, and so on, but they are also here. God, God also desires to call them into ministry, whatever way it may be, but full-time ministry is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. 
Wow, that was a great conversation with those guys. And um, on our next episode, uh, we're going to be featuring uh, some sessions from the Our City Toronto 2023 conference. And uh, the next episode will be with Karen Reed uh, from Vancouver as she uh, teaches and shares her experiences of radical hospitality. Uh, one of the things that uh, there's certainly a lot of room for in Canadian culture is uh, Christians who will understand the high value of living intentionally uh, as good neighbors, intentionally in community. Karen's been a guest on uh, other uh, episodes and uh, so we'll let you know about those as well when, when uh, we link the show notes. And as usual, you can uh, find out about uh, our guests today, Sam Malloy, uh, Pastor Isaac DeGraff, and uh, well, we don't have any links for uh, Kirabel Mazresha, Nahum, but uh, get in touch with me if you want to get in touch with him. And uh, thanks for uh, listening. This is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. Come back real soon.